0: So as you heard, there's an Eagles game going on right now. It is 6 to 3, Jacksonville. I'll make this quick. No. (laughs) We'll not make this any faster than it would need to go. Walter, if you could put that slide up for me. What is that that I'm showing on the screen? It is the Constitution. And more specifically, this section of the Constitution, what do we call that? The preamble, that is correct. I should probably put my glasses on so I can read. The preamble, we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. The preamble to the Constitution that we have and we hold dear for this country. Why the preamble of the Constitution? Is this gonna be a political message? No, not a political message. But what I look at, when I look at our passage today from Galatians chapter five, I think of this as a preamble to this last section of the letter that Paul is writing to the Galatians. We've heard earlier that. Chapters 1 and 2 were about the authority and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapters 3 and 4 were about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And now we get to the practical nature of both of those previous sections. And yet, it felt like this was a preamble, like preparing us to hear the practicality of this letter to the Galatians. Our series is entitled Breaking Free. We are in chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 13. Let me take a moment to read this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Before we unpack this, let me take a moment to pray. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are and what it is you're doing in my life and our lives collectively. I pray, Lord, that you would be paramount of importance in our lives. I pray that the words that I would speak today would not be mine, but rather they would be yours. Anything that I would say would, that is from me would be quickly forgotten, never to be remembered. But those things that come from you, Lord, would be quickened into our hearts and into our minds, finding fertile soil in both places. That as we leave here today, we leave looking more like your son, Jesus Christ, to a lost and dying world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' matchless name I pray. Amen. So I mentioned a month ago when I was preaching from Galatians 3 that I would be stepping on my own toes by talking about Galatians 5 verse 1. 5 verse 1 it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. I looked at this and thought that this is sort of the unofficial theme verse for Galatians. But it's really important. And I want to unpack this this verse and the rest of these verses a little bit more for us. And we'll start with the first four words. It is for freedom. In some cases it says it it is for liberty. But freedom from what? Whatever we want to do. The gospel gives us carte blanche to go and do whatever it is we want and and say whatever we... think. No, that's not what it's about. You see, as believers in Christ, our desire is to want to please God. Our desire is want to glorify God. That's what we have freedom to do because we can choose to do that. For people who have not yet made a decision to believe in Christ's death and resurrection as their own, they have no ability to choose to glorify God and to worship him. Christ died to set us free for that reason, to allow us to do that. Christ has set us free. No one else but Christ. There's not a figure in history other than Jesus Christ that could have saved us, that could have restored our relationship with God. That's what he came to do. We were in sin. That sin separated us from God eternally. And all the animal sacrifices were not sufficient to restore that union. Only a human sacrifice would suffice. And that was Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That he was sacrificed on our behalf, but he was risen from the grave as well. But we're told to stand firm. Stand firm. This is a continual concept. Stand firm from the past, stand firm now, and continue to stand firm. It's an ongoing action. How do we do that? How do we stand firm? Because it gets hard. Everybody in here is or has or will go through difficult times in life. And God is asking you to stand firm in those times. You can look back on your history and see how you did Stand firm. Maybe you're going through something now. You need to stand, continue to stand firm. And we will stand firm as we move forward. Some ideas to pray, obviously, to the creator of the universe. He created you, He knows you intimately better than anyone else. You go to Him to stand firm. You read his word to see what he says to you, his word to you. We can engage in fellowship. There's various Bible studies throughout the week in small groups where we can go and we can talk to one another and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need some help. Or when we hear that said, we say, hey, I want to come alongside your journey with you in this moment and help you through this. We help each other to stand firm. Develop a healthy routine about God. So oftentimes I think we get stuck in our lives. I know there are aspects of my own life I feel stuck. And so I look at, at well, how do I do things? I'm doing the same things over and over and over again. We all know the definition, definition of insanity is to keep doing something expecting a different result. Well, maybe we need to change the routine a little bit and focus that routine on God. Maybe it's crack open the Bible if you haven't been doing that. Just read somewhere, anywhere, and ask God to reveal something about himself to you. It can help us overcome our sense of stuckness. Is that a word? It's a word today. Stuckness. Help you get unstuck. Looking at God because he will be the one to help us get unstuck. Then we move on to verses 2 and 3. Paul says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who, is, who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. He's, he's continuing this argument against superfluous doctrine or rights actions of religiosity. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not because of what Christ has done on the cross. Not what you can do to yourself. Circumcision is in the law. It's part of the Torah. But here's what's interesting. The first time we see circumcision, the introduction of it is again when we see Abraham and a covenant that God is making with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. And as Galatians 3:17 mentions, as I mentioned this a month ago, the law came 430 years after Abraham. So the concept of circumcision in the law was 430 years after God told Abraham You should be circumcised as a sign of my covenant with you. See, circumcision was meant to be an outward expression of an inward truth, not a way in which to be saved. Jesus did miracles all the time, but they were meant and designed to be outward expressions of inward truths. That's what circumcision was meant to be. And yet the Judaizers are espousing circumcision as a way to salvation. The bigger picture is that the law is what saves you. That's what the Judaizers are basically saying. That the law in addition to Jesus. And that's not what it's about. The role of the law is not to save. That's not its role. It's not its job. Just explains sin. That's it. Pretty simple. The how to to live godly. But to live with God is faith. Is belief in Jesus Christ. You see, he's he's basically saying there's no in-between when it comes to the law. You either follow it all, the law, or you follow none of it. There's no, it's a binary issue. You either do or you don't. And if you follow the law, you have to follow the whole thing. You don't pick and choose. We see that today in the concept of relativism in our, in our culture. You know, we're Americans. We see a lot of it. Ah, oh, I believe this. I believe that. Take from Buddhism and, and Christianity and some from mystical writings. But that's not the truth. You either follow the whole law or you follow none of it. And if you follow the whole thing, by the way, you're set apart from Christ. Verse 4 says, You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So when you follow the law, you're alienated from God, from Jesus Christ. And there's two things to note here. The first one's a little bit longer than the the second, but I wanted to really flesh out this idea of uh, following the law and how it brings a curse. In our opening message that Brian gave us for this Breaking Free series, he mentioned the word anathema, curse. That following the law is a curse. Galatians 3.10, if I may step on my toes going backwards, Actually, I think that's more standing on my own shoulders, whatever it is. I'm using myself again. It says this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. What does this look like? I want to unpack this because I didn't take the time then to unpack it. But it references Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, which says this cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. This is a culmination. This is the end of chapter 27. It's a culmination of the verses before it that were all about, you shouldn't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And he's saying, anyone who doesn't uphold this, uh, you'll be cursed. Chapter 28 then goes on, and it goes the other way. It talks about blessing for obedience. If you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully follow all his commandments, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. And that continues down through verse 14. So there are also blessings when we follow his word, when we follow the law, when the Jews follow the law. But then it goes back in verses 15 through 68. I'm not going to read the whole rest of this chapter because that's just too much. But I wanted to give you a sampling of the litany of curses that God will be talking about. We're going to start in verse verses 16 through 19. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed, and the crops of your land. And the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. We see trouble in food and child production here. Two things that we need. Verses 27 through 29. The Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, festering sores, and the itch. That just scares me right there the itch. (laughs) From which you cannot be cured. At midday, you will grope about like a blind person in the dark. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. Physical troubles of all kinds. Verses 38 through 40. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little, because locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil because the oil, the olives will drop off. This idea of labor and, and work trouble. Work gives us a sense of purpose, and yet we have no purpose when we do all this work, and we can't reap the fruit of it. Verses 43 and 44. The foreigners who reside among you will rise above you higher and higher, but you will sink lower and lower. They will lend to you, but you will not lend to them. They will be the head, but you will be the the tail. And we see here a trouble with a sense of authority or autonomy. And we know that the Jewish people ended up enslaved for many hundreds of years. Obviously, they were not holding to God's word. Verse 45 is a good summary of all this. All these curses will come on you, They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. Does this give you a good picture of the curse of not following the law? And this is what Paul is telling the Galatians follow the law? Go ahead. This is what it amounts to if you don't follow it completely all or nothing. That's the first point. The second point, this idea of the falling away from grace, is a scary sentiment. It might make you think we could lose our salvation, but that's not what he's saying here. It doesn't mean a loss of salvation, but it does mean that you would have trouble living in God's grace, that if you're not following along his word, that you're gonna struggle. If you're not loving Christ, you're going to struggle in his grace because you're trying to make it happen in your own strength. And there's not grace in your strength, but there is grace in his strength. And then moving along, we see Paul give sort of an antithesis to the legalism of the Judaizers, starting in verse 5. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Believers wait We wait for Christ's return. It's the same premise of standing firm. We're waiting. We wait in the past. We currently are waiting, and we will continue to wait. Stand firm in our waiting. But understand that waiting means that you're not doing it because you can't earn God's favor. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor that he says, oh, look, he's worthy. We're not. We're not worthy. But by his grace... He has, called, he has called our names. Does that mean then we can sit back and do nothing? Of course not. No, God calls us to a life of activity for His glory, for His sake. In verse 6 it says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's what matters. Circumcision, non-circumcision, neither one is better than the other. It doesn't matter. But what does matter is faith expressing itself through love. I had an experience many years ago. I was at a midweek Bible study with some guys, and we were going around giving prayer requests, and and I was in kind of financial distress at the time, and I said, "Ah, I just need prayer because I just need some money and whatever. That was the end of that then the following Sunday, the Bible study leader, he comes up to me and says, uh, here, I've got this envelope for you. Uh, this is not from me. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who it's from, but this is to help you, and it was money, and just so happened to be the money that, the amount that I needed to cover whatever was going on at that time. What I want you to see is, is yes, answer to prayer, but how faith in action through love matters Because that person, whoever it was, was compelled to give me money to try and help me in my suffering in that moment. And that made a difference in my life in that moment. It made a a material difference for sure. But understand, I didn't look at it as this person was giving me money. It was God who was giving me money. And that drew my relationship with God closer because he heard me, God heard me, and he put it on someone else's heart to be a blessing. Jesus talked about the widow's mite, the, the, the coin. That was basically all that she had that was, ended up being worth more than what other people were giving out of their surplus, even though they were giving more actual money because it was all about her heart and what she was giving. Out of love. Faith and love are inextricably intertwined. Okay? Faith and love are inextricably intertwined. That means they're absolutely enmeshed together. They have to happen really together. A couple of verses to help us understand that point. In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. It says this: What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. I feel like I'm inextricably intertwined with Abraham's story, because this is my second sermon in a row that I've talked about it. But faith without deeds is dead. If we just say we have faith and yet do nothing, what kind of faith is that? Faith in what? To do what? What's the purpose of it? Again, we're here to glorify and honor God. If all we had to do was believe and then he would take us up, we wouldn't be here today. We'd be with God. He left us here to share his story. Faith should compel us to action. We should be compelled. We should want and desire to do something for God's sake and his glory. And then we look at the love aspect of it. This next verse is probably the most often used verse in marriages and weddings. Actually, it comes from the chapter that we're going to look at. But 1 Corinthians 13:4, the love chapter, talks about what love is. Love is patient, love is kind. We're going to look at the first three verses, however. Verses 1 through 3 say this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Faith without love is nothing. Again, what's the point? doing things for their own sake because you think you're supposed to do something, that's legalism. That's what Paul is railing against here. You can't hoodwink God. He knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He knows your intentions to say, oh, look at me, I'm doing all this for God. What did Jesus say when Mary and Martha were doing their thing? Mary had chosen the better way to worship at his feet while Martha was banging away in the kitchen. It's not about the doing in this instance. Not at least without the love that's required. Faith through love is meeting other people's needs. So I challenge you. I challenge you to find a non-family member in your life with a need to meet. It's easy when we have an invested interest because there are children or our parents or our grandchildren, there are whoever we are very close to. We'll meet their needs without thinking about it. But what about your classmates? What about your, your co-workers? There are needs there. I guarantee you that. How can you meet their needs? Maybe it's as simple as, hey, you know what? Can I pray for you? Or hey, can we go pray? They might look at you and like, you yeah, know. All right. Well, you know what? You can still pray for them. When you get home, you can pray for them right then. Maybe they need money. And maybe you can provide that to them. Maybe there's something else that they need. Maybe someone needs an opportunity. You know, in America, we talk about how great our nation has become because of the, the effort and work that people. Put in to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I venture to say that not a single one of those people ever did it without someone, somewhere along the way, giving them an opportunity. Giving them some kind of a start in some even small way. Maybe they were like, I'm throwing this thing out here. You can do whatever you want with it. And they're like, oh, this is awesome. Thanks. Thanks. And all of a sudden, it becomes Walmart or something. That happens. That's how it works. Someone gave someone else an opportunity. You may have the ability to give someone an opportunity in some way. How can you do that? How can you raise them up? Now, in the le- next part of our section, we see more of a final warning to our preamble. Verses 7 and 8 say this You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Now, again, as Brian mentioned in our in his first in the first sermon of this series, that Paul is recognizing that the Galatian people had made a decision to follow Christ and they were believers. So he's encouraging them. Great job, guys. You were running the race. But who got you off track? Because it wasn't God's message that got you off track. And then verse 9, he says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And what he's telling them is, little things here and there that aren't right matter. They make a big difference. In, in Scripture, the concept of leaven or yeast is a metaphor for sin. Sin. And, and when there's a little bit of sin somewhere, it affects a greater aspect of our lives. It's kind of like the, the princess and the pea. She can still feel it. It still affects her. That sin will still affect us. It will invade every aspect of us. And then we start lying to ourselves mainly, but it might become lying to other people. That's what sin does. Again, this idea that that Christianity is a binary construct, one and zero, that's it. Sin separates. It doesn't matter if it's this small or this big or whatever size. It's sin. God cannot reside with sin. Any amount of it will affect you. And that's why we have to know and love Jesus Christ, that he can help us deal with that. Verses 10 and 11. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Again, he's he's encouraging them. I believe that you will make the right choice. And as I got into verse 11, I, I was really confused, like, what does he mean, still being persecuted and all this? Well, the backstory is important. You see, at one point when Paul was, was with Timothy, he told Timothy to get circumcised. Now, it had nothing to do with salvation. Right? But people looked at it that way and continued to say, hey, Paul is preaching circumcision. And Paul's saying, well, if that were true, think logically. Why would I still be getting persecuted if I was preaching circumcision? If I'm preaching circumcision, I'm not preaching the offense of the cross. And so he's saying, I'm not preaching circumcision any longer. The New Living Translation, I think, puts it a little bit more clearly to help us understand. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended but he's not. He's still being persecuted because he is preaching the cross of Christ. And then verse 12, we see, it says this, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Take the whole thing off. While this may be amusing, um, it's not really here for comic relief. Again, backstory. In Galatia at that time, Pagan priests would frequently emasculate themselves completely as a way of trying to reach max righteousness or max piety and say well, i'm as pious as you can get and so he 's saying to them, "Look, if these Judaizers want to want to be pious, take the whole thing off like the pagans, like the pagan priests you'll be incredibly righteous then, being facetious and knowing that it has nothing to do with the, the circumcision or, or, or any outward expression that way. Verse 13 says this, and it does a nice recap. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So we see a nice circle back to verse 1. Where for freedom Christ has set us free. And it encourages the ideas that we see in James and in 1 Corinthians about ensuring that our faith is expressed through love. Jesus said in, in chapter 8, uh, John chapter 8, verse 36: So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed you can bank on that, you will be free indeed. What stuff in your life takes up room in your heart and in your mind? Maybe where you've forgotten where you, how you've been freed. We're complicated as, as human beings, and in one area of our life we can look awesome, and in another area we look like a complete mess. Let's look at the mess. What's holding you back from from really believing in the freedom that God has given you through his son, Jesus Christ? Don't be afraid to look at that. I know I am, but I'm working on not being afraid of it. Because there's freedom in glorifying God to overcome that garbage that's in my life. The stuff that I don't want to look at. The preamble to practicality of living out faith. Go and stand firm. Go, stand firm. It's kind of a dichotomy there, but you want to go out into the world to see where you can exercise your love because of your faith. Stand firm for your faith, believe in that freedom. And live free. Find those areas in your life where you're not living free and really start working with God on that. Maybe you need to bring someone else in. Say, hey, can you journey with me on this? And if someone comes to you and says, hey, can you journey with me on this? I think your answer is going to be yes. I say that because that's you exercising your love, even through your own crap. We all have it. We can't be afraid. Make the choice to walk by the Spirit, because you can. You can make that choice. Let's pray. Father, guys, thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you have set us free, and only you can set us free. I pray, Lord, that you would help us take a hard look at ourselves to see where it is, that we're... We don't feel free. It might be a long journey. It might be a scary journey, Lord. But thanks be to you, Lord. We know it's one that we can can live victoriously through, through help from others, from your word, whatever it may be. Just thank you and praise you so much for what you've done on the cross and how you have set us free. And we are free indeed. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.